You're listening to The Great Groups Podcast. Our goal is to equip small group leaders at Brook Hills and beyond to make disciples through effective group ministry. You'll hear from Jay Gordon, who has more than 30 years of experience in leading church small group ministries. And he'll be joined by Chris Amaro, one of the small group leaders for the Church of Brook Hills. And often, you'll also enjoy interviews with other small group leaders. So, enjoy the commute, and thanks for listening to The Great Groups Podcast. Well, Jay, we're back. We are here with Jim and Betty, and we are continuing to talk about the characteristics of great group leaders. Week one of their interview was incredible. There was so much meat there. I hope if you missed that, I hope you'll go back and hear some of the things that we discussed with uh, Jim and Betty, or better yet, the things Jim and Betty discussed with us right, last right. week. Uh, Taught us. Very, very valuable. <laughs> So just to hop back in on some of the questions and um, just to remind you that if you didn't listen last week, uh, we cheated and sent an email to their group members and asked them to comment on um, Jim and Betty's group. What do you think about when you think about Jim and Betty's group? And also, what do they do that would be an encouragement for other group leaders to hear? One of the things that I kept hearing about in different ways was just the love that you guys show your group members, and um, that's something that's been incredible in my life, learning from people who discipled me, learning how to love, and that's that's a, an example in the last year or so. But let me re- read a couple of um, quotes. Just one. Let me focus on one. Betty cooks for us. We talked about that last episode, so go hear about the lasagna. It's incredible, and we're all going over to Betty's house on that night. So. But um, Betty cooks for us, opens up her house, and even kisses the girls on the head. Not that small group leaders must do any of that to be great leaders, but that is just her way of demonstrating to us how much she loves us. She and Jim care for and love us well. So where does that love come from, Jim and Betty, and, and uh, how, does that, how does that impact disciple-making? When we share the gospel with someone, one of the first things we tell them is that Jesus loves them. And um, so that's not necessarily... Um, just a an innate thing you know uh but it is it is a choice and so uh, we want anybody and everybody that comes through our front door to understand that we love them unconditionally Hmm. and um so that's what we do we may not know their background most i mean when they come in we don't we don't know their names we don't know what they do we don't know where they're from what what their history is but um we find out their spiritual history, and then we let them know right off the bat that they're going to be loved in our home. Mm, that's good. Mm. Are there some unlovable people from time to time, or, <laughs> or is it a challenge? I know it, some small group leaders are sitting out there going, ooh, ooh. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there. I'm sure, I'm sure there are. I'm sure everybody has. Uh, they probably think that about me as I'm a member <laughs> of someone else's group. But I, I would say for Betty, she's really the secret sauce. She has this natural, God-given uh, gift of hospitality, and it just it just flows over everything that we do. People just literally sense that when they walk in the door. And she actually, when we first started doing small group, we sort of last-minute decision was she said, you know, I think it would be really helpful for everybody. They're either in school, they're working. What if I just fixed dinner? Uh, and I said, well, okay, you know, I was pretty neutral about it. Uh, but we, the first night we met, we had 
We had uh, nine couples other than us who came. None of them knew each other. And to have had a chance to get acquainted a little bit before we did that and uh, before we got into Bible study, and that's the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And I said, wow, this is like so different. Uh, if you've had that that time where you've really you know, gotten to know, even this is night one, the fact we got to know each other a little bit, connected there, it made the Bible study much more rich and deep. And uh, the sort of the proof of that was we said, okay, we're done. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll be here next week. No pressure. Come back if you like. And nobody left. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I think the first couple that left, left an hour after we dismissed wow. everybody. Wow. So they just sit set from, from day one. Yeah. I think the other thing that I learned from uh, – a man who uh, discipled us, especially in leading small groups, was really to decide to love them before they even get there, okay. uh, before you know what they're like, because isn't that the way Christ loves us? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, Where we are, like we are, so why shouldn't we love them that way? So that's right. it really makes it a lot easier when maybe the, uh, someone a little more challenging comes in the door. If you've already set your mind to love them, mm-hmm. it really, it's not based upon their actions, their activities, that God-given kind of love that, that He gives us for our, for our people. Yeah, I like that you use the word choice a couple of times. You know, it's yeah. a choice yeah. to love people in advance. And a young yeah. couple that are first married, they're just trying to figure out what that looks like. And um, so there are some uh, insecurities that come in the front door. And Jim and I know that. We've been married long enough. You know, we remember what it was like. And they, they just need to know that there's somebody that doesn't judge and is just going to love them right where they are. Mm. Next question I was going to ask was, uh, was, what are some of the steps that you take to make your home feel like a warm, safe place, uh, uh, a community place? But I think you kind of <laughs> answered that in, in that last. But, but I, I did struggle when we started this whole process 14 years ago. Uh, I, I mean, one of one of my own insecurities and sin in my life at that time. I think, looking back on it, I was much more a Martha than I was a Mary, <laughs> and I worried if every speck of dust was gone and if everything. And I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, um, they don't care, and you know, I might need to be doing something else for another family instead of dust in our house, and so. You know, the word is going to be taught and we're going to pray and it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. It's going to mm-hmm. work out. Mm-hmm. I think there's just something about living life with our people and, you know, sharing a meal together is, is so yeah. much a part of that. And, um, you know, I've, I've heard people before say that, you know, they could just never host people in their home, you know, a group in their home, you know. But um, I was glad to hear you talk about the Mary and Martha yeah. complex. You know, sometimes we get caught up about everything being perfect so it kind of keeps us from showing hospitality and doing ministry yeah we try to set the tone even early on usually somebody's visiting for the first time we'll ring the doorbell we say okay you don't have to do that anymore you know <laughs> you're part of the family now so just come in when you <laughs> get here right. so that's, that's what right. people do and yeah i thought of a question that we you know didn't discuss in our pre-conversation a little bit but say there's a, a group leader out there who has never really had love modeled for him in group life. And I was mentioning uh, to you a little bit, I'm, I'm, I'm still growing in that area. So I know the best way to teach is to have it done for you and to you, but if, if a group leader's never really modeled that, 
How do they start loving their members in a way that's above and beyond where they are now? Any thoughts on that? Thinking back to my own life, I've messed up over and over and over, and Jesus has always loved me, no matter no matter what. From the day of of uh, His saving me, there's never been any doubt in my heart about whether He loved me. Disappointed in choices I made, sure. So Jim and I don't have any choice mm-hmm. in this. You know, we know we love them, mm-hmm. uh, even if they mess up. Mm. Now, you know, there have been some circumstances where I would say, I sure do love, but I'm, I'm not liking, <laughs> you know, that decision that was made right now. Uh, but that's just part of it. Right. Yeah, and I think the perfect role model, again, the first small group leader we really studied about is Jesus, right? So right. were all his disciples lovable? I mean, did they all get it? No, <laughs> you know, no way. And yet we see, so that might, I might actually would suggest a small group leader just that's struggling with that, maybe just go in the Gospels and look at some of Jesus' interactions with his disciples and think, okay, maybe I don't have it quite so bad as I thought. And Jesus really gives us a great model how to love people in spite of, you know, how they are. Mm -hmm. Well, and from the first book in the Bible, you know, God is calling his children stiff-necked. And so we're not any different, you know? Anybody that walks in our door is... You know, same as us. We're going to have times when we mess up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was looking, uh, taught a thing here at Brook Hills, a a class a couple of years ago on disciple making. And in the class, we divided up the the Gospels. And and I said, read through this, looking at just the relationship of Jesus and his disciples. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we noticed was there are many times that some activities going on but we, we, reading through in that vein, know that the disciples were there watching it. And another thing is how much traveling they would do. I mean, they might walk two or three days to get to a city where they were going to and just imagine all the teaching time and loving time, you know, that Jesus had with his disciples. And so as I looked at that, you know, one of the conclusions we came up with in that class is uh, love is spelled T-I-M-E sometimes, you know. Uh, I was telling you about my tennis game last night uh, off the air before we talked, and uh, we actually drove to downtown Birmingham, Liz and I, to play tennis with two of our group members. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, I could tell it, they were glad we took the time to drive down there and, and play tennis. We won, by the way. Just had to get that <laughs> in. But, <laughs> but um, you know, it's uh, spending time with people outside of the group is, is something that's really important. Um, the next place I wanted to go, uh, we mentioned as we uh, started or closed last week's session that you're on group number 17 now. That's a lot of leaders who have come out to, to lead some of those groups. And, um, you know, the way it works is that um, usually a leader is, is uh, picked from within the group or um, enlisted in some way. So, Jim and Betty, whoever wants to, talk with me about the leadership process, how you find leaders, how you discover leaders, how you bring them up. Yeah, I think discovering is the right word. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, what typically what will happen, groups come into the house, and occasionally, I know you in the past we've talked about maybe we, we needed to bring someone in or maybe you knew somebody was looking to uh, get into being a small group leader. We'd invite them into our home and sort of share some responsibility. They might lead uh, one of those groups. Uh, more often, though, uh, a leader or two, usually it's multiple, are discovered within the group. So we... We do a couple of things by giving opportunities 
for people to start teaching and leading pretty early on so you can find who's got gifting in that area who's comfortable who's you know being led in that area and then when you uh, discover who they are then you sort of double down and uh, just invest more time and and uh, resources in them Mm -hmm. how often do you allow somebody else to lead the group or teach the group however you do that Uh, uh, it really sort of depends on the topic, but uh, I would say at least a fourth of the time, maybe a third of the time, especially once you kind of get going with a new group. You know, I would typically lead early on, but then really start sharing that as the group you know, mm-hmm. gets a little maturity on it. So, mm-hmm. For this reason, I usually tell my leaders, if you're going to be in your group 52 weeks a year, please do not teach 52 right. weeks a yeah. year. Please don't lead 52 weeks. Yeah. Allow that to be spread around a little bit so some people are getting some experience to know that, and that's so important. Okay, so question I have. Uh, tell me, how did you get into leading small groups at Brook Hills? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, we had a, a man who was here at the time and had uh, not long after we came, and we got to know him a little bit, and he says, hey, why don't you guys uh, start a small group at your home? And we like, we never done anything in our home. We don't really know what small group looks like at Brook Hills. We don't know what to do. He says, well, you just host it, and I'll lead it. Of course, for him, it was a chance for him to model, right, <laughs> for us what to do. Uh, so we said, uh, who do we invite? And he said, well, who do you sit to next to church? He said, well, we don't know them, so we'll get to know them. You know, <laughs> So it's like, you know, people from work, you know. So that's, that's what we did, and that was really helpful for me. Because uh, I'd sort of come from an institutional model, especially doing church, where you, you're all terribly organized about things and assignments are made and just the whole idea, well, you know, you're free just to go start a small group. was just awesome, you know, mm-hmm. to, to even think about that. And then it really is a, a relational thing. It's organic, and it, it really is just from people that you know. And so uh, that's really kind of what got us started. And then he had some other work-related things that he couldn't lead anymore, so guess what? <laughs> so then uh, we led, we decided to really focus on which we have a heart for young married couples, so mm-hmm. that's what we that's what we did. And So were, were some of your first people young married, and that's how you fell into yeah. that? Um, it was, and the very first group that was led in our home was mixed-age group. So, um, but since we love young marrieds, uh, the... You know, the realistic thing to do would be to pray and ask God if we were to continue that. And he affirmed that, and so we did, and we hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, for our listeners, I want to give a disclaimer right here, and that's I'm going to get into the multiplication that Jim and Betty do. And my disclaimer is uh, this is unique. I don't know that it's reproducible because uh, it, it is really a God thing what happens there. But I'm I'm thinking that we can glean some principles that are going to be good for us all as we consider multiplying our groups. And so um, how, how did you get from where you were to the, the point now that, that you're multiplying groups? They come into your home, they stay a while, and honestly, once a leader's selected, I, I think I heard they get sent to the basement or another room for a while where that leader leads. And then when it's time for you guys to bring another group in and start another group, then that group in the basement moves out and the group upstairs goes to the basement something like that it's a it's a phenomenal thing so I, I, I would just love for people to hear a little bit more about that 
Yeah, it's really, we'd use this word, God crazy, but when we started our young couple small group, we started, mentioned with nine couples the first night, and three months later, we had Betty was cooking for 45 or 50 people wow. on Tuesday wow. night. So uh, we, two, three things happened really quickly. Like we discovered, well, this, we're not a small group anymore, and you got the picture. There's no way. Okay, you let me can ask some that. questions I think our listeners have. Okay. How did you, how did 45 people wind up there? Uh, well, this is where it's got crazy. They just showed up at our door. So, so word like of mouth, say. really? Mainly word of mouth, and uh, just we just were listed in the small group listing. Uh, at at Brook Hill, so okay, that's and that's what God has continued to do. Uh, so we like we don't advertise. We don't like go go out looking. Uh, usually, it's it's uh, we get a maybe a third or so come through the small group finder. So couples that are you know a lot of people are moving to Birmingham for graduate school or jobs and whatever. Mm-hmm. So they'll find Brook Hills and they'll try to find a small group and you know God just brings them to our door. So. Uh, so that's just what's always happened, and his timing has always been immaculate. He'll always have the right mix because, uh, like, even in that first group, it's like, I wouldn't have put this mix together, <laughs> uh, but God in his wisdom has, has done that. Okay, so let's move from having 40 or 45 people into different groups yeah. within your home. How did, how did that come Well, out? the first one was really painful, right, because these people were connected up pretty well, so, like, we went we went from one to three groups. Wow. Yeah. So, and we did that. Fortunately, we had lots of good leadership uh, that was already there. And so one of those groups and just sort of set the pattern. They said, Jim is like, we think it's time for us to move out. We want to really try to work on kind of this area where an apartment complex where we live. So they're like four, three or four couples are going to move out and do that. So that really, set the pattern for us and this expectation because we are we know that god grows his kingdom by multiplication right so mm-hmm. so multiplication we've always said it ought to be two ways either a group like organically grows and then you need to multiply like an organ like a cell would you know, we've yes. learned that in biology right <laughs> you know one becomes two two becomes four so it ought to look like that or uh we should be uh, bringing, uh, just organically growing by adding people from the outside, hopefully non-believers. And so as groups have launched out, it's been really interesting to watch that happen. We've had some of both of those happen. You said yeah. hopefully non-believers? Yeah, non- okay. yeah, hopefully you won't bring non-believers awesome. in. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I, I so, love... so the expectation is we even say, look, if we're like all here together, it's the same five years from now, we have like failed miserably as leaders and you have failed small group members so so we just set that expectation from day one they know that growth and multiplication is the norm Mm. Mm. that's that's good you know we talked earlier i think betty mentioned um john 13 34 and 35 Mm -hmm. you know about us having love for one another Mm -hmm. jesus said a new command i give you love one Mm -hmm. another and um you know i i just think that um if we open our groups to people who don't know christ yet and they come in and see the group loving one another. What a powerful witness. I think that's something that people might not see out there in the world the way they would see in a group of believers who love Christ and love one another. I think that's just a great environment. It's been neat uh, to see the reaction from our neighbors because we have a lot of cars. <laughs> yeah, 45 on, people. On Tuesday yeah. night. <laughs> that's a parking lot. And... Uh, I get questions, just random questions, being out in the yard. Somebody will pass by or, 
you know, so that's been kind of neat. Uh, I even had a neighbor a couple of weeks ago ask me how we were handling our small group because of the pandemic hmm. and gave me a chance to, to share. So yeah. it's been really, really neat how God has uh, been in total control and sovereign over everything, hmm. beginning with group one. Hmm. So every person that comes in now, they, they sort of know that that multiplication is part of the process, right? Right, right, okay. yes. Hmm. It's probably one of the more pressing questions. How do you plan a menu for 45 people? <laughs> That's on-the-job training. <laughs> <laughs> Through the years, I figured out what they like, what they don't like. Right. And I just, you know, when I make lasagna, it's usually five recipes of it. And I discovered big aluminum pans. <laughs> uh, when we first started, uh, I was doing everything in Pyrex and stacking things on top of each other in the oven. And so Jim, bless his heart, got me a double oven, and we're good. <laughs> well, for some uh, group leaders out there who are very scared about cooking for a lot of people, uh, there are different ways to do that, a lot of different Absolutely. methods. And um, yep. like my Sunday night small group, we'll call a theme, well, Right now, we're kind of not doing food during the <laughs> right. coronavirus pandemic, but uh, we'll call a theme. You know, the first night of every month is breakfast night, and we have everybody bring something. And I, mm-hmm. I realize you'd, you'd said earlier what you do with, with your folks is especially helpful for those young adults, often both working, that type of thing. It's a little easier on our Sunday night group to have some time to prepare, but we'll do uh, Italian night and then, you know, Mexican night and different things and allow mm-hmm. people to uh, come in. So there are a lot of different ways to do that, but... Food really is a great part of group and yeah. just helping people dialogue and get to know one another. Yeah, and there are lots of ways. I mean, we, we have pizza night. You know, we, as you know, we have Chick-fil-A night uh, occasionally. So, you know, yes, and last episode, uh, you know, I mentioned having so, visited them on Chick-fil-A night, and I miss yeah. Betty's cooking. Yeah, so, yeah, it just sort of kind of whatever works, and, you know, they, they really appreciate all of it, so. That's cool. Anything else? Um, you know, I just really want to dig into the multiplication, make sure we haven't missed anything. That would be some uh, some nuggets of gold for small group leaders out there. But um, um, say say there's a small group leader listening who has had the same group of people for maybe five years and, uh, you know, just is not seeing new people come in or, or multiplication might not be on the radar. Any encouragement we could give them? Well, I think uh, again, we we look you know start with scripture, right? So we've already said that. So uh, we just see that is the norm. So that's kind of the first thing is get settled about that in your mind and in your heart, and then uh, think about well, how might this maybe said another way is just growth. How might that? How might I grow up another small group leader? Because especially as a group gets larger, and we we found that are more than ten, say ten couples, eleven couples that you're hitting the limit on what's what feels um, like somebody has room to come in. So uh, I would say if you got that many, you really ought to think about raising up a leader, uh, turn one group into two, and that's almost assuredly it will grow because now there's room, there's there's an openness that just wasn't there before. Because one of the questions that we get asked uh, by couples that come, how long has your group been together? And why are they asking that, right? They want to know if they have a place to fit in or is this, uh, does everybody know themselves so well, I'll never crack right. that, that outer shell. Mm. So that, so I would say, you know, think about growing people in terms of their capability, teaching, leading, 
hospitality and all the other thing it takes to do small group and there are lots of things so you know give out a lot of uh, assignments to to do that and but with the with the aim that hey we're gonna we're gonna do do this so we'll put us in a position that we can multiply our group cool that's awesome yeah. um well as we kind of get close to the end of our second session with you uh betty i'm going to ask you a question and uh, one of the emails mentioned maybe a girl come into the kitchen and and just thanking you for for all that you do and for the cooking and leading the group and she said your response is always this it's what we're called to do so i'd love to hear from both of you maybe about about that calling to be small group leaders i think probably i was as surprised um, by the calling as as anybody else would be Um, i have a natural love for children and always thought that that would be where my ministry occurred. But um, being a young married is such a precious beginning to a marriage. And uh, what a blessing it is that Jim and I get to be a part of that. So uh, we're very comfortable uh, where we are. There's no restlessness. Um, I will usually say, you know, until or unless the Lord comes or tells us to do something different, this is what we do. Mm. This is what we do. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, and I think calling in starts with Scripture, you know, Jesus told us to go and make disciples, right? So so we knew that that was going to be calling it fit somewhere, and I think just our, our um, history and our upbringing, we just are really attracted to young married couples. Mm-hmm mainly because I just made so many mistakes early on. Uh, so it is a critical time in life, and we we really want to equip couples, give them a good start as a married couple, because uh, most of them are already are committed Christians, and so they don't need that so much as they need to reset the context of what does that look like as a married couple and how do, how do we now live out our faith as a family uh, so we're just kind of starting them on that road. So we want to give them really good foundation as they get started. So that's something that's sort of near and dear to our hearts. Because if you if you look at that too, if if we're called to multiply and we want to grow the kingdom, we're we would be better off to invest in someone who is going to have maybe 50 years of ministry, right? Mm, so that's good though. So uh, <laughs> get them early. So, there you go. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, they'll be able to use the rest of their lives also. So if we, if we can just make any uh, small, just move the needle a little bit, you know, God will move it a bunch over, over 50 years. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's awesome. Well, small group leaders out there, as we close, I would just like to encourage you to, um, you know, consider what you've heard today. Is there something that Jim and Betty have said that you would like to incorporate in your ministry. And so we would like to encourage you to do that. Jim and Betty, thank you so much for being with us. Yes, thank you. Uh, what you've shared has been so awesome, and uh, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Well, it's been an honor to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for Thanks for asking us. Thanks for what you do. Well, that's all for this episode of the Great Groups Podcast. Please do subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you won't miss the next episode. Also, visit us online at greatgroups.org and leave a comment there. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening today. We'll be back next time with a conversation that inspires you to make disciples. And that's the point of great groups, make disciples.